summer growth spurt. We want more than just our kids to experience a growth spurt this summer. We want more than just the blackberry bushes in our backyards to experience vibrant growth this summer. We want collectively, here, all of us, at Overlake, as a community, to experience some rich, some vibrant, some new spiritual growth. And so that's why we're, we're in this series together. And I want to begin with a quote, because I think we got to get to the heart of why it is that we're even doing this series. And I think this quote will help us. It'll be on the screen. It says this, if you want to build a ship, don't drum up the men to gather wood, divide the work, and give orders. Instead... Teach them to yearn for the vast and endless sea. You see, we don't go through all these things of saying, hey, add this discipline to your life or or add a little bit of this to your faith for just the sake of doing it. We begin instead with a desire to love Jesus more. We begin with a desire to become more like him. We we begin with a desire to, to transform the places that we live, we work, and we play just as he did. And so if we begin there, then, then all these disciplines we talk about begin to make sense. And if we don't begin there, then we miss the boat entirely. And what, what so brings me joy, what so brings me excitement, and, and as, as would Pastor Mike would say the same, and, and others on staff, is that there is just a, a, nearly a tangible uh, hunger in this place for more growth. For, 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 for more uh, a growth, to, to fall more in love with Jesus, to become more like him, to, to see the, the, the lives changed around us just as Jesus has. And so that's why we're going through this series. And today we get to look at a, a spiritual mindset almost. Less of something you do, more of something that you have to think, a mindset or an attitude that you have to bring to the table that has to be part of our growth. If we're going to continue to grow... It's going to be part of that. And it's this 12-lettered word, perseverance. Perseverance. Here's the definition that I liked most that I found. It said, determined continuation with something, steady and continued action or belief, usually over a long period, and especially, check this out, especially despite difficulties or setbacks. This is a requirement if you want to grow over the long haul. If you want to experience more than just one growth spurt, if you want to experience multiple of them over the long haul of life, when there's things that aren't always just good happening, but there's also those setbacks, the difficulties of life, pain and trials, if we're to grow through all of those things, perseverance is required. And I didn't get this idea. This isn't just something I conjured up or or that I found in some doctor's office's poster. You know, we've all seen them, all the pictures of eagles and, you know, waves and people climbing mountains and stuff. And and it's not just some cheap quote that I thought I'd throw at you. Uh, This is found in Scripture. We can turn to the Word of God and see that this is something we're called to add to our lives, to our faith. And we find that in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 5 through 7. It says this. There's a list of seven things written that we're called to add to our lives, to our faith. It says, make, your, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge, to knowledge self-control, and to self-control perseverance. Smack dab right in the middle there, not to be overlooked. And to perseverance, we're to add godliness. And to godliness, mutual affection. And to mutual affection, love. Again, if we're to grow over the long haul, it's going to require perseverance. 
I love this quote by the late Walter Elliott. He was a famous Scottish politician. He says this. Here's how he describes the word perseverance. Here's how he thinks of it. He says, perseverance is not a long race. It is many short races, one after the other. And it made me think, I read that, and it made me think of a triathlon, a race where people swim, and then they bike, and then they run, back to back to back. You get out of the water, you hop on a bike. You bike a little bit, get off the bike, then you put on the running shoes, and you go running. And, and, and in 1978, in February 1978, there was a group of 15 people, crazy people, I would say, just totally ridiculous, 15 people that gather together on the beaches of Waikiki, and they stand there together to settle a debate that, has, that had kind of started on the island. And the debate was, who's the better athlete, a swimmer or a runner? So you had those that were part of the Waikiki Swim Club argue in their case, those that were, were into marathons argue in their case. And then that month in Sports Illustrated, who's on the cover? A cyclist from Europe. So they got to make a race now. They got to take endurance length uh, uh, courses over these three things and add them together and settle the dispute right then and there. So they gather on the beach, they mark out the 2.4 mile stretch of open water swimming that the Waikiki Swim Club had used. Then they added a, a counterclockwise loop that goes around Oahu, 112 miles. And then after you get off your bike for 112 miles, then they're like, let's, let's finish with a marathon. That only makes sense. We'll, we'll do the Honolulu Course Marathon. And the deal was, what they agreed to was whoever finishes first We'll call that person the Iron Man. And then the next year, 50 people turned out. This thing just continued to grow and grow. I mean, there's a lot of crazy people out there that do these things. And, and 36 years later, there's 39 Iron Man races across the world. You show up to these things, there's a couple thousand athletes that tow the line in their wetsuits, and they go over 140.6 miles. Talk about perseverance, Right? having a long race to complete, knowing pain is a part of that process, and yet it's worth it. I think of every person in here has exercised perseverance. And maybe it was a sport. Maybe you did a half marathon or a marathon, or, or maybe it's the workplace. You've been in charge of a product release or starting your own business, or maybe it's just parenting, right? It's a long endeavor. There is pain. There are sleepless nights and yet you stick with it. There's a greater purpose, we think. <laughs> I think my parents are still waiting for, for mine. But, uh, but what I want to look at this morning is three traits, three things that, that we can learn from those who persevere, people who persevere. What can we learn from them if we're to, to add this to our face, to our lives? And so the first is this. First fill in, if you want to write this in, is that people who persevere, they have a purpose that's worth the pain. They have a purpose that's worth the pain. They have something that's outside themselves. They have something that's greater, a cause, a mission, a destination, a place, a person. But they have a purpose that is worth the pain. And, and, and I think of how much we value this. Look at the movies that come out. Hollywood's tapped into this. They make billions every year making movies that really are about perseverance. For the, for the animal lovers out there, this was my favorite childhood film, uh, Homeward Bound, right? Story of two dogs and a cat that have to persevere through the wilderness to find themselves home, where they live out the purpose of being the best pets to it, like an American suburban family, you know? 
Sports lovers, Rudy, remember the Titans. I mean, there are so many different movies out there, but, but in Rudy, here you have a young man. He's willing to persevere life, hard work, the classroom, the football field, so that he can live out his mission, his purpose, to suit up and play for the Fighting Irish. You can look at, uh, at all the Tolkien fans. Uh, I mean, just Lord of the Rings or The Hobbit as it continues to come out. <laughs> One person, no joke, was going like this in the back. <laughs> Not even kidding. First service was like, oh, Lord of the Rings. It just takes perseverance to watch those movies. You know, like, it is true, it does. Those of you that do the marathon, I don't know how you do it, but Lord of the Rings, you have a hobbit and his companions, and they are willing to persevere the darkest parts, the places of Middle Earth to destroy a ring that breeds evil. Perseverance. Those who have perseverance, they also have a purpose that's worth the pain. And so I'll begin with this question, and perhaps this is your homework this week. What is your purpose? Why are you here? What is it you're called to do? Why wake up every day? What is worth the pains of life to you? That is a huge question. I, I feel like I know mine. I've, uh, I've ripped mine off from a church I'm pretty fond of. Mine are to love God, love people, and serve the world. And I mean that. It comes straight from the great commandment and the great commission. That's what I'm willing to endure pain for. Not just on a physical side, but emotionally. All kinds of pain, it come in different types of, of, of layers, different forms, circumstances. But that, living out that purpose, is worth it to me, is worth any pain that I could experience. What I love is the Apostle Paul, because he distills his life purpose into a statement. And he writes it in a book called Philippians. He's writing an encouraging letter to a church in Philippi. And he's writing it while he's in prison. Here's a man linked up, chained up, and he's writing an encouraging letter. And in there, he's able to identify, here's my life purpose. And so he writes this in Philippians 1, verse 21. He says, for to me, living means living for Christ. And he goes on, and this is crazy. He says, and dying is even better. What? Think of this guy. He's saying... I have a purpose that not only am I willing to live for, I'm willing to die for. And I would argue there's a lot of great things worth dying for, but how many things are worth dedicating your entire lifetime for? For him to say he's willing to live his life for one person, Christ, to become like him, to share him with others, to treat others with that same outlandish love that Jesus did to look in people's eyes and speak truth into them that maybe they've never heard, maybe they have forgotten, to touch, to heal, to establish places, that, that churches that are going to transform communities. This man lived it out, and he says, I actually view death as a benefit, as a gain to me, victorious. Why? Because then I get to be in the very presence of Jesus forever. That is powerful. To be able to make that statement is crazy. 
and then to be able to back it up. Here's a man, if you're to look in 2 Corinthians verse 11, or chapter 11, it, it reads like the back of a baseball card with stats. It says things like, here's, here's Paul, here's his, here's his stats. Here's his batting average. Five times he received 39 lashes. The only, the only reason they didn't hit him with number 40 is because it would have killed him. Five times this man is, is whipped, 39 lashes, three times beaten with rods. One time stoned. Dude, only once? Come on. Not three or five times, just once. Pelted with rocks. Okay, all right. So average a little low on getting stoned. Uh, uh, three times shipwrecked. He comments on how he was just adrift out in water, without, just in the ocean, in the open ocean uh, overnight. He can't even count how many times he's been imprisoned. How many times he's even just been beaten. Not with rods, not with a flogging, but just beaten. Here's a man that backs it up saying, not only am I willing to live, but that pain is worth this purpose. Jesus' half-brother, James, writes this in the book of the Bible he gave us called James. A little selfish. Name a book after yourself. Anyways, James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4 read, Consider it what? Pure joy. Oh, I can't wait. I can't wait to hear what we get to consider pure joy. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials. What of many kinds? Why? Why should we consider that joy? Oh, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Well, why do we need perseverance? Well, James answers. He goes on. He says, let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. There is a huge paradigm shift that we undergo as we mature in our faith. And that paradigm shift largely comes around pain, largely comes around difficulty, setbacks, circumstances that just you feel like you're, you're, you're just, uh, you're getting pummeled. And yet James speaks to the element that there's a way to almost begin to view these with joy because they provide opportunities for growth. They provide an opportunity to, to, to create this perseverance within us, to make us more mature. And if you want the chief example of this, if you want the role model of all role models of living this out, then just turn to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. It's, it speaks of Jesus. It speaks of this man that we talk about every week here at Overlake. That if this is your first time here, I just want to let you know we are big on this person, on this man, Jesus. And here's what it says in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. It says, because of the joy awaiting him, because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross. Now, I want to I kind of make sure we don't have a misunderstanding here. Was he looking forward to the cross? Did he have some sick and twisted mindset that, oh, I'm going to enjoy this moment? Not at all. Not at all. In the, in the Garden of Gethsemane, the night before his crucifixion, right before he's sold out by Judas... And, and thrown into to, to, to the Romans and undergoes just a terrible trial, is totally rigged and, and gets beaten and marred and thrown up on a cross. Before all that occurs, he's praying to his father. He's praying to God, if there's any other way, let's do the other way. Remove this from me if there's any other way. But if this is the race you're setting before me, if for me to live out my purpose of, of, of saving humanity, of reconciling mankind and nature all to you, 
then I'll, I'll endure the cross. His purpose was worth the pain. And because of that, he was able to have joy that awaited him, joy of knowing that he, in fact, did save mankind, that he, in fact, would be at the right hand of the Father, that he, in fact, would, would, would welcome home his followers and be with them in unending forever, for all time. It was so worth it that there was joy. And so I'm convinced that Jesus was the most joy-filled person to have ever lived because he lived the most purpose-filled life there ever was. He's our chief example of this. And you almost see it's like cyclical a little bit. You live with purpose. Joy is like this byproduct of it. And when you have joy, you want to begin to live out in purpose. They almost begin to feed each other. And that happens in and out of great seasons and terrible seasons. So if we're to persevere, we need to have a purpose that's worth the pain. What do you need to persevere in right now, in this moment of life? As you sit here in, in a seat here at Overlake, what is it you need to persevere through? What is it that you need to live out as Christ? What circumstances? It may, maybe it is parenting. Maybe it is a difficult season with, with one of your kids or, or all eight of them. If you have eight of them, we were, we're praying for you. Just, just know that. But, but maybe, maybe, maybe it's, it's parenting. Maybe it's being single. It's been a really long season of exercising patience, and yet you've had to persevere, living a, a life of godliness as Christ would, waiting for that future husband, that future wife, or, or, or whatever your future may look like. Maybe it's persevering through, through your current job, the scenario you're in right now at work, and, and, and maybe it's actually persevering through a season of having no work, but living in that season for Christ. Maybe, maybe it's persevering. I, I wrote down other things. Health, marriage, relationships with parents, siblings, kids. There are so many facets of life, and each of them require perseverance at one point or another. The second trait, people who persevere are consistent without condition. Hate these people right? <laughs> Just because we want to be like them. These are people that when they sign up to do a race, they're the ones that actually train. Pfft, like, why? You know? And not only do they train when it's like sunny. I mean, we can all get out there and stretch our legs. They do it when it's dumping rain. They do it when the wind's not just at their back, but in their face. These are the people, they're consistent without condition. One of my favorite authors is Jim Collins. He's come out with multiple uh, bestsellers. One of the more recent ones was a book titled Great by Choice. Just check it out. It's a great read, especially if you're in the business world. Uh, read this book. And here's what he writes about in one of his chapters. He unpacks this, this, uh, uh, it's this story of two explorers. This is a true story of two explorers in the early 1900s who are racing to put their flag at the South Pole, 90 degrees south. And so they take two different approaches. One is Edmondson. And what he does, his team achieves victory. He beats Scott's team, is the other guy, by 34 days, and all of Edmondson's crew is able to go home and talk about it, share this story with their family and their friends. 
Scott's crew, not only are they defeated, each of them, in, their, their lives are ended. Death and defeat. Weather turned so quickly. They didn't get it done in time, and so they each lost their lives. And, and Jim Collins explains the difference of, well, if these are men who's, who are very comparable in expertise, teams were equally resourced, they left at the same times, everything being the same. He looks through all these variables. What was the difference? Why did Edmondson's crew not just achieve victory, but have life? And, and what happened to Scott and his crew? And so he unpacks it in this paragraph. I'll just read straight from the book. It says, throughout the journey, Edmondson adhered to a regimen of consistent progress, never going too far in good weather, and careful to stay far away from the red line of exhaustion that could leave his team exposed, yet pressing ahead in nasty weather to stay on pace. Edmondson throttled back his well-tuned team to travel between 15 and 20 miles a day in relentless march to 90 degrees south. When a member of Edmondson's team suggested they go faster, up to 25 miles a day, Edmondson said no. They needed to rest and sleep so as to continually replenish their energy. In contrast, Scott would sometimes drive his team to exhaustion on good days and then sit in his tent and complain about the weather on bad days. In early December, Scott wrote in his journal about being stopped by a blizzard. I doubt if any party could travel in such weather, he wrote. But when Edmondson faced conditions comparable to Scott's, he wrote in his journal, and I quote, it has been an unpleasant day. <laughs> Storm, drift, and frostbite, but we have advanced 13 miles closer to our goal. Edmondson clocked in at the South Pole right on pace, having averaged 15 and a half miles per day. Consistency is huge. As we begin to unpack these spiritual disciplines, and we've talked about Bible reading, we've talked about fasting, we've talked about confession. Next week, we'll hear about prayer. These are things to, to interject into our lives consistently, not just when things are going swell and we have margin, but to make it happen on a regular basis. And so I simply identified two things that help us live a more consistent life. There's more, but I just, I just picked two. And the first is this, we got to lose the dead weight. Anything that's unnecessary has to go. You don't see marathoners out on the, on the starting line wearing football pads and cleats. No, you see them wearing little tiny shoes that weigh just a few ounces. They're wearing little singlets. They got the, the cutest, tiniest little shorts that have the nice little butterfly cut slit, right? They're, they're light. There's no un unnecessary weight packed upon them. And this is written about in Hebrews chapter 12 again, but verse 1. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with what? Perseverance, the race marked out for us. The dead weight has to go. What is it? What is in your life currently that has to go? Is it an addiction to something? Is it a mindset? Maybe a selfish mindset? Maybe a judgmental mindset? Maybe, maybe a self-harming mindset? You just continue to beat yourself up with thoughts that are not true at all, adding additional weight. 
Do you need to rid yourself of, of an unhealthy relationship or an unhealthy behavior? And then the second thing, after shedding unnecessary weight, is that we need to find those to bear weight with us, our burdens. You may offload the things that need to be offloaded, but it's still going to require fabric and, uh, of community, a networking of friends and family. Galatians 6.2, another one of the letters that Paul wrote, he writes, bear one another's burdens. We're in this together. There's an African proverb. If you want to go fast, go alone. But if you want to go far, go together. We got to apply that in our lives. I know right now we're in a season, it's still summer, it's August, crazy to think it's August, but, but the fall is approaching. And I know a lot of people make decisions now that impact what their fall schedules look like. And I would ask you, if community is not a part of your life, if, if there's not a network of friends or family or people that are able to surround you in this race, then make margin for this fall. Keep a few nights open this fall so that you can join a life group this September. We'll be having a big sign-up where you can join a group. We'll all be journeying through the same curriculum. It's going to be awesome. I'm really excited for it. But you're going to have to have margin to be able to do that. So maybe that's what August looks like for you. Is you're a little, a little more, uh, not as trigger-happy with, with committing to things, knowing that you need community in your life. And now the third trait. The third trait of people who persevere. Love this one. It's simple. People who persevere finish, period. They will not be denied that finish line. That purpose that they live with carries them to, to the finish line. And the pain they experience through the way is just a part of the process. They almost do have this mindset. We've all heard that phrase, you know, no pain, no gain. But they will not be denied the finish. People who persevere finish. I want to show uh, a clip, it's two minutes long, of these two gals who finished the Ironman in 1997. It's one of the most historic finishes to any Ironman. It, it shows the last 100, 100 feet or so of their finish. And so watch this. They will not be denied the finish line. Sean Welch is in a desperate spot. Her body has run out of fuel. The legs are there, you just can't feel them. The eyes still see, but through a gauzy veil of delirium. At this point, Sean Welch is aware of two things. The finish line is so close, and someone is so close behind. After more than 140 miles, it's come down to less than 100 feet to that damn line. Just yards behind, her stalker appears. It's Wendy Ingram.
Their bodies were obliterated, but the spirit held firm. Man, I'm cramping just watching that. <laughs> Every time my legs just get a little weak. Oh my word, guys, how nuts. The worst part, so I saw that for the first time a few years ago. And then I had a friend that shared that with me a week before I did the Iron Man, which is the cruelest thing ever. For a week, my psyche was just messed with. Like, I just had visions of me, like, just, you know, legs buckling, me doing the long stride. Like, I was like, dude, Alex, why? Why'd you do that to me? And so I, I did the Iron Man. This was about a month ago now over in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. This was my finish. Not, not quite as epic. I, I, I did not expend all the energy that I had. I was able to smile and stuff. Oh, you guys are too nice. It was amazing. It was the experience of a lifetime. It really was. It was, it was a dream I had for 10 years since I was 18. And I, and I watched someone do it that I knew. And I was like, I want to do that. And I've always enjoyed running and, and, and cycling's become a new passion of mine too. And, and always did a swim team since, you know, junior high. But, but I, I saw that I wanted to do it. And, and over six months, these last six months was the training. There was the investment of, of, of money and just time, uh, having others come around, support me. There was a handful of overlakers that, that I took out to lunch because we have a few Iron Mans, uh, Iron Men, I guess would be the, the plural, in, in, in this part of community. And it was fun to hear their wisdom, kind of glean from them. But it was remarkable. And, and what it made me think of was I was willing to do all of this and yet end up at a state where you're just exhausted, you're depleted. But there's still this sense of just like elation as you cross that finish line. I knew exactly what was required of me. I was focused on it. Although during the race, I'll, I'll be honest, for 13 hours, you have a lot to think about. My mind was all over the place. But it made me think of someone who also crossed a finish line and knew exactly when they did, when they completed their race, when they emptied themselves completely when they were completely focused, not just on the destination of where their race ended, but were, was focused the entire way. And again, it's the person of Jesus. Look at this in John chapter 19. It says, when Jesus had received the sour wine, here's, here's Jesus just finishing the taste of sour wine like vinegar off a sponge as he hangs on a cross. And he says, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. That is remarkable to think that when you are able to live with such purpose, you know exactly when it is that it's fulfilled. You fulfilled that calling. Jesus knew exactly that. And what shocks me is that he wasn't just tuned out his entire life and then just shows up in this moment on a cross. Look at how engaged he was as he ran his race. Look at the accounts of how he stops and looks in people's eyes and speaks with them, reaches out, touches them, heals them, speaks words of truth over them. Look at how he raced. And I've wondered, like, what was, Jesus, what was your race strategy? How were you able to live in such a way that, that there was a day you were able to say, it is finished? And I think it's here in John chapter 5, where it says, So Jesus said to them, 
Truly, truly, I say to you, this son, speaking of himself, can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, that the son does likewise. I think his race strategy blended these two ideas of intimacy and obedience. If we are to live purpose-filled lives, to live for Christ, to die as gain, it's going to require these two things coming together, intimacy with the Lord and then obedience to the things that we see him doing, the things we hear him speaking to us, living those out, and not doing it just when times are great, but being intimate and obedient through every season of life. That's what it's going to require. That's the race strategy we need to adopt as a, as, as a really a purpose-driven church here, that if we are saying we love God, we love people, we serve the world, then we need to be a community that does that. Otherwise, those are just words on banners in a parking lot. But it has to be intimacy and obedience. And I wonder, I like, what could we do on a regular basis? What could we add? What, what, what creative element could we use to remind us of this, of this calling, that we're to be on mission, we're to race well, we're to persevere and I think it's been given to us already. I don't think we need to come up with anything. Look at communion. Look at what Jesus gives us in communion. I'll, I'll, I'll end with this story. It's a true story. I heard, uh, I went to a conference a few months ago here in, here in Seattle at the Seattle School of Theology and Psychology downtown. Went there with Pastor Josh and Mark Bauman and, and we're sitting there. And one of the presenters, his name was Michael Frost. Love this guy. He's an Aussie, so he has a great accent. So it's just easy to listen to him too. But he shares this story of a time, just recently actually, that he attended a church in Texas with some of his friends. And the church was, was having a service dedicated to the Lord's Supper, to sharing communion together. And so he goes in with his friends to this church, and he, and he describes it. It's actually one of those older churches, a lot of brick, really cool stained glass windows, kind of smaller. And, and they walk in through these beautiful wooden doors. And the whole place, the whole sanctuary, that, that entire area where they, they do worship and their services was cleared out. No chairs, no pews, no furniture, nothing. And the ground was completely tarped. They had put tarps down and taped them down to the floor. And smack dab in the middle of the room was a huge heap of trash, refuse, garbage, and it wasn't like uh, the type trash you could recycle or stuff that's boxy or kind of clean. It was food scrap type garbage. It smelled. There was little tiny rivers kind of coming out from this big heap of, of just garbage juice. And so people are coming into service, obviously aren't standing anywhere near the, the, the heap of garbage, kind of more in the corners and on the sides, on the periphery of the area. And service just begins. No mention made of the trash heap at all. Choir comes out, begins to lead worship. People are singing. There's some readings that take place of scripture. The priests come out. And they do some liturgical readings. And they share a word from scripture, still not mentioning the trash heap. Until they walk down. Everyone's watching what they're doing. And they wade right into it. Waist deep, just one step at a time, straight into this heap of garbage. Everyone's watching. One of the priests 
reaches down, pulls out a plastic bag, and, and in it, protected from, from all the other nastiness, was a, a clean loaf of bread, thankfully. The other priest reaches down, pulls out a paper sack, and in it was a, a bottle of wine in which he opens and begins to pour into a, a glass. And, and then the priests say something. They say, didn't Jesus say, as the Father sends me, so I send you? Didn't Jesus say, so, so as I ran, I asked you to run your race? And didn't he role model it for us on the cross as he broke his body and they break the bread, poured out his blood and they poured the wine? Did he not role model not just the cost of his life, but the purpose of it? And he asked us to enter into the same, just as he humbled himself, came into a world that was filled with evil, with sin, with stench, vileness, and yet gave himself for it, poured out his life, emptying himself for it. And so these priests, they offered to those that gathered that day, if you accept this race, this mission, and you want to remember not just the life and the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus, but you also want to say, I understand what you're calling me to, Jesus. That just as the Father sent you, so you send me, I will too wade into that garbage as a statement that I'm willing to empty myself, to humble myself, to become more like Christ, to love others as your son loved, to transform, to, 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 to bless cities. And Michael Frost said it was the most impactful spiritual moment where, where he partook of communion. It made him really have to pause and think, wow, am I willing to do that? And he rolled up his trousers and he waded into it along with others and shared the bread and the wine that day. We are filled with a great purpose. We need to identify it and then we need to live it with perseverance. And I think we'll realize these traits are things that we'll just have to come back to. There may be nothing new that you heard today that you didn't already know, but we have to continually be reminded that we have a purpose that's worth the pain, that, that we're called to be consistent without condition so that why? We can finish. Let me pray for you, Overlake, as we continue to live a lifestyle of perseverance. Lord, thank you so much for the truths found in Scripture that, that speak to our core, that go beyond just our heads, but penetrate our hearts. And so I pray that your spirit would continue to just uh, resonate with us in ways that are, that are perhaps uncomfortable for sure, but are also purposeful, that, that, that actually mean something. Would you give us perseverance to be able to run the races that we're running, knowing that each person in here, even myself included, are going through different things, unique circumstances, dealing with, with different people? Would you help uh, us apply perseverance to, to, the, to the lives that we're living today and to our faith as well? Lord, we love you so much, and we do thank you for your son, and, and, I, and I, I do. I thank you so much for, for the sacrifice given 
for all of us. We love you and we praise you in your name. Amen. Amen.